scripture reading for this morning is from Psalms 16, reading from verse 1 to 6. It says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Morning. It's good to see you. It's really good to see you. It's great to be back in Okinawa. Um, we landed yesterday at about 1130 after spending two weeks in quarantine in Tokyo. Not a sofa version of ROM, mind you. Some of you have been through the actual quarantine that's imposed by the Japanese government, and it's a little bit different than what you might experience on an installation room, uh, those types of things. But we made it back, and uh, man, so glad. In fact, as we were leaving the airport before we left, I told my kids I was going to kiss the ground, and I did. I got down on my face and my knees, and I kissed the ground. I actually kissed it twice. I kissed it once for myself, and then I kissed it, as your pastor, I kissed it once for you, because... <laughs> You're that glad to live here, too. You may not know it yet, but the, feel, the feeling come. You'll be here. So just hang, hang in there. Uh, we were warmly greeted when we came off the plane, uh, not by a person, but by the humidity that's here in Okinawa that we did not experience all summer long. And it's, it's a thing, right? It's a thing. It, was, it, it got me thinking, Okinawa... Uh, can serve a lot of purposes in your life if you will allow it to. One of the good purposes that Okinawa serves in our lives is that it reminds us that we are created beings who need shelter. Without shelter, we die. How many of you would have accepted orders to Okinawa pre-air conditioning? You would have been up in your monitor's grill. You would have been all over his desk. That's a hardship to Can you imagine, though? Americans PCS here, pre-air conditioning. The horror, right? But can you imagine, I mean, Okinawan people, just, that was normal everyday life here on this island before the luxury of electricity and air. Could you imagine growing up here and just living here your whole life, no air conditioning? We can't. We don't have a frame of reference for that anymore. Okinawa will remind you very quickly that you need shelter or you die. The sun is hot and oppressive, you need shelter. The humidity is oppressive and suffocating, you need treated air so that you can breathe and live. Um, I know you guys got one typhoon while we were gone, kind of. It was all billed as this big thing, and that's also how it works around here. Like, hey, massive storms come and get ready, and then it was just kind of, you had like a two-week rainstorm, right, with a nice gentle breeze for a little bit. But imagine a typhoon in Okinawa without a, the concrete home that you live in. Imagine living right on the coast and not having shelter. Okinawa reminds you as a created person, I need shelter or I die. 
Psalm 16, the uh, first half of Psalm 16 that we're going to look at this morning, serves a similar purpose. Psalm 16 is going to give us a lens to look through to remind us that our souls are just like our bodies. No shelter, no life. My soul needs refuge just like my body. No difference. No difference. We're going to see David. He's the author of this psalm. We're going to see some pretty incredible statements. We'll look at these two more closely next week. But notice in verse 8, he says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. So that's stated positively, but he's really making a negative observation. He's saying there's something in my life that if it were not for God's presence, I would be shaken. I'd be undone. And then look at the statement in verse 10. Very similar. He says, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or the place of the dead. Again, positive statement there. But imagine what's actually going on in his life that he would make that kind of positive statement. Something has him or someone has him feeling abandoned to the point that he would feel abandoned in the grave. I, when I read that, I can picture in my mind David standing in a cemetery, if you will, which wouldn't be hard here in Okinawa. We drive in and through them all the time, right? The, the uh, the burial places, and he's thinking to himself, I feel so abandoned. If it weren't for God's presence, I feel like I would be abandoned right to the point of death. Now, there are probably two groups of people in the room this morning. The first group is made up of those of you who are acutely aware that there is something or someone in your life that has you feeling that kind of abandoned or that kind of shaken. And I don't even have to give examples to help us brainstorm. It's already in your mind, and you can see it in your eyes. Others of you, maybe the other half of us, are sitting here thinking, no, there's, there's just not anything like that in my life right now that would cause me to feel that abandoned or that alone or that shaken. Maybe as we journey through the first half of Psalm 16 together this morning, Maybe the Spirit will give us eyes to see things that we haven't yet seen or are aware of. So let's actually pause and pray for God, the Spirit, to work in our hearts that way, and then we will unpack the first half of Psalm 16. Father, we pray that you would pour out your Spirit on us as you did when we were first adopted into your family, that you would again, Father, by your grace and through your Spirit, bring our hearts to life. Give us eyes to see what we don't see on our own. Make us aware of things in our lives that we would otherwise be unaware of. And help us to see our absolute need for you that if, um, that we would actually believe that our souls are just like our bodies in the sense that we need refuge for our souls. No refuge, no life. And may we take our refuge in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So here's the big idea for this morning. I need refuge for my soul like I need refuge for my body. We'll hang that statement on three very simple ideas, and here they are. What we're going to see in the psalm is this. We need to say it, we need to stay in it, and we need to stare at it. Say it for myself. Say it. I need to stay in it, and I need to stare at it. Let's read the first two verses of Psalm 16. 
David writes, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Now, we often think of Scripture as being written at a desk. It's all sterile and clean and academic. Did you just read what I read? Did you see that? I don't see a desk, and I don't see a scroll, and I don't see nice pens. I don't see a cup of coffee so you can, what's the Instagram shot? Hold on. I'm having my devotions, getting ready to go out, right? There's no posturing. There's no cute picture to go with this. I see David standing alone in a field, looking up to the sky, probably with at least one hand raised. He's crying out to his dad, preserve me, O God. That word preserve me just simply means uh, rescue me, save me. Actually, and we can all relate to this, it's the same thing that our kids would say, look at me, look at me, dad, pay attention to me, please. That's what David's expressing. There's passion here. Preserve me, oh God. I take refuge in you. I've tried taking refuge in other things or other people before, and I've learned the hard way. Refuge may be offered, promise of refuge is offered by a million people and places and things. It's all lies. It's all fake. It's all facades. I'm taking my refuge in you. Notice how personal this is. Preserve me. Preserve me. Sometimes we're way too steeped in religion and we hear, um, we see things like this and we're like, man, that's really selfish. This is really self-centered. Can we even talk to God like this? But look at David's language. This language gives all of us permission to talk to God this way. Preserve me, O God, me. For in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. You're mine. You're mine, Dad. I need you to act on my behalf. You are my Lord. And then notice what he says. He says, I have I have no good apart from you. And maybe the one thing that we need to hear this morning, maybe the only thing the Holy Spirit wants for you to take away from our time together this morning is that one truth so that it will dispel all of the other lies that currently occupy your mind. Guys, you don't have good apart from God himself. Any good that is in your life is already a gift from his kind hands for you. But that idea that David's communicating that I have no good apart from you That's him saying, look, I'm in this place of abandon. I'm in this place of being shaken. I'm threatened. My soul is hurting. The only only way my soul will receive what it needs, the only pathway to joy, the only pathway to heal the wounds in my heart is straight through your hands. I have no healing apart from you, no help, no hope. We're acutely aware of the physical things in our lives that make us feel this way. We are blind to the realities that are going on inside of our soul, the invisible things in life. We're blind to them. As a kid, my grandparents kept turkeys on their small farm in Vermont. And one time, one of my cousins found himself on the inside of the electric fence line where the turkeys were released from the barn still one of the funniest images in my mind. Like, I laugh every time I think of that. Turkeys as a flock. Are they flocks? Is that what turkeys are? As a group. I mean, and at that age, I mean, turkeys are ugly anyway, right? (laughs) Ugly. 
Yes? As a four or five-year-old, turkeys look like creatures straight out of the world. Not birds, but dinosaurs. And so my cousin Nick is in there running for his life, and he runs straight into the electric fence. No, it was great. It just bounces him back to the turkeys, and it's burned into my brain. Guys, that is, that is essentially how we live life. We are acutely aware of the things that we can see, the threats that we can see. We're blind to those things that threaten our soul. You feel the humidity, you feel the sunshine, you won't exercise because there's a black flag on the pole, right? We feel it and we see it. And what do you do? You take refuge. When's the last time you took refuge for your soul the way that you daily take refuge for your body? We're blind. I was in West Virginia this summer. It's beautiful. Pretty much the whole way I had on repeat for my, on my iTunes, I had, no joke, right? What song? West Virginia. I will sing the whole thing for you. Anyway, I went to an amateur boxing tournament in West Virginia. And yes, it was everything that you would expect an amateur boxing tournament in West Virginia to be. And so they would go through all the weight classes. They get to the, the heavyweights. And it was just cash money. Like they were just giving out money if you could survive the tournament. And there was this one kid who gets in the ring, and he had clearly never boxed a moment in his life. He was big and not muscular big. He, he should not have been in there, but cash money. He lasted maybe five seconds, and he turned around and ran and covered his head and screamed out for the official to end the fight. It's crazy. That's us, guys. We're that boxer in the ring when it comes to physical threats but we are blind to those realities that threaten our soul more seriously than Okinawa's humidity and Okinawa's sunshine. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. No good apart from you. Here's the problem, guys. David already said this for himself. And if we've grown up in the church or if you're, you're here, in the, here's our temptation. You're going to let David say it for you. You've got to stop letting David say it for you. We have to stop assuming that because we're here, it's being said on our behalf. We have to say this for ourselves and own it. Uh, the way the psalm opens up where it says a mictum of David, that means it's like a poem or a song. So here's, here's how this is meant to be used and how David would have used it. He would have said it once initially when life was falling apart. This is a real prayer, right? He feels shaken. He feels abandoned. But then he realized, he, he learned, man, I've got, to take, I've got to take refuge in God before crisis, not after crisis has happened. Like, this is how I'm created to live. I'm going to turn this into a poem or a song like West Virginia that I can learn and sing all the time to rehearse for myself. That's what we've got to do with this. All right, so David... Moses down the road, he says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So now David kind of moves from his initial prayer and he's talking about these people, saints in the land. Now, when we see the word saints in the Bible, our first thought is to think of dead people who are really good and are now recognized by the church. As we study scripture, we can see that the word 
saints can refer to dead people, but it actually more commonly refers to living people. The word saints refers to any person who has been adopted into God's family and has been declared right with God or righteous, not because they're a good person, but because of the work that Jesus has done on their behalf. And so they acquire that righteousness by faith in the work of Jesus. Now, they're not a sinner, but a saint, because Jesus takes the title of sinner on the cross, and he gives the title of saint to anybody who, by faith, believes in him, and we're accepted into God's family. So... Any person who has been adopted into God's family and is dead is forever and always a saint. If you have believed in Jesus as your rescuing king, even though you will never live a perfect day in your life, the Father looks at you and calls you saint. So David says, look, when I feel shaken, when I feel abandoned, I look to the saints in the land and they're the excellent ones. Why are they the excellent ones? Because, and look, David's not thinking of imaginary people right now. He's thinking about people he knows, faces he can see, tear-stained cheeks he can see, hugs he's received, meals he's shared, journal entries he's, he's, he's shared with other people he's in very close relationship with. It's almost as if he's, David is encircling himself with these people he's calling saints in the land. Now, he says in the land, but he could give us a street address because these are local people. These are his boys right here. This is his family. These are other, other members of God's family in whom is all my delight, he says. Why is his delight in them? Why are they the excellent ones? Because the saints in the land that David is pointing to are those people who are practicing exactly what he's saying in this psalm. In their hard times and preceding their hard times, they daily seek refuge in the Lord. They daily remind themselves, I've got no good thing apart from God. And so what is the gift that these saints in the land give to David? It's right here in verse 4, where David says, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. The sorrows of those who run after another god will multiply. You know what David knows about himself? David knows he's a runner. David can write those words because... David himself has run after other gods, and his sorrows multiply. We've got all kinds of stories that we could look at right now. Seasons of David's life where he stopped taking refuge in God and ran after other gods, and his sorrows multiply. You know what the gift of these encircling saints give to David is? They form a fence for David because they know he's a runner too. And they're just in his life saying, not today, David. You got a runner's heart. We have runner's hearts. That's why we're encircled with each other. And we all know our tendency to run and find refuge in anything else other than God. And we're not going to let you. And you're not going to let us. We are encircling you. That's why they're the excellent ones. They're a gift. They give a gift to David. We're not going to let you do it, David. David lets himself be in this circle so that he will not run away. Because he wants to live out this beautiful reality he's describing where he finds his refuge in God. He doesn't want to run after other gods anymore where his sorrows multiply. Where he says, their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. That's just David's poetic way of saying, I'm done. 
I'm not, I don't even want to talk about running after other gods before. I'm not going to participate in it anymore. I'm not even going to name their names like I have done, and that tendency is still in my heart. I just want to be encircled by people who recognize my tendency to run and gently and kindly and with grace just keep pointing me back to the God who created me. So first, David said it. Let me just ask you this morning. Are you saying it? Do you have a pattern in your life where these words regular or words of your own that express the same thoughts regularly flow from your lips to the, to the God who created you, to your father? Dad, I've got nothing good apart from you. And I need you. And I'm going to take my refuge in you. And you are my God. So you've got to do something for me. Are we saying it like David? And here's, here's the second question, I think, from our text this morning. Who's your circle of saints? Who's encircling? Notice he says saints in the land. So what land do you live in now? Like seriously. Your favorite island in the world. It's not Okinawa, right? You live here. This is your land now. It's not enough to have saints in the land where you PCS from. That's great that you had a fantastic church. You're not there anymore. They are not your church anymore. They're just not. Church is meant to be very local. This is your land. This is where God brought you. You need saints in this land encircling you now. And by God's design, he's gifted you to be one of those saints in the land wherever you live, giving this gift to other people in his family. It's hyper-local. It's hyper-local. So you may find these saints in the land through your missional community participation. You may find them in your fight club participation through other kind of intimate gatherings in our church family, ladies' gatherings or men's gatherings. Can I tell you where you won't find it? And while your participation in our Sunday morning gatherings is important and an act of obedience to Jesus and an act of allegiance, and it's all great, you will not cultivate this kind of relationship in a Sunday morning gathering when we're all facing one direction, looking at a person or a wall. That's not where it happens, right? Who are your saints in the land right now? So we got to say it, we got to stay in it, stay in that encircling, stay in the encircling saints, and we need to stare at something. Here's what we need to stare at. David moves, he shifts directions now, and he brings us to a very pivotal point in this psalm. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. He's He's speaking to his father now, God his father. He says... Look at what he says here. This is really important for us. You hold my lot. You hold it. And now look at this crazy thing that he says. Remember, his circumstance right now is he feels almost abandoned and almost shaken. He knows he's not completely abandoned. He knows he's not going to fall apart. But that's how he feels. And his feelings are legitimate because he's in real difficult circumstances, either physically or for his soul. But look at what he says in verse 6. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. In my Twitter scroll a couple days ago, I happened upon a tweet where a friend of mine has a house out west in the U.S. And he said, this morning I was sipping out my, or sipping my coffee, looking out my front window, and I could see the mountain range and the beautiful, clean air. I could, I could feel it. I could see the mountains. 
And I put my coffee down, and I turned around, and I looked out my back window, and I saw the farmer spreading manure on the field right behind my house. Those are his two views, and he lives in the valley. Guys, you know what Psalm 16 reminds us about? Most of our life is lived in the valley. Life is hard. A Christianity that kind of presents a happy, clappy, fake joy, life on the mountaintops, never in the valley. If you're in the valley, your faith is too weak. What's wrong with you? Those are all lies. The Bible is so clear. The gospel is so clear. Most of life is lived in a valley place. If it wasn't, why would we have Psalm 23? What does that say? Yea, though I what? Walk. Do you get through places very quickly when you're walking? If valleys in life were just short, seasonal, or rare, he would say, in the off chance that I ever find myself in a valley, or yea, though I sprint through the valley. Does though, does he? Yea, though I walk. Guys, most of life is walking through valley places. But most of life is like that. We have two views. We have the mountains in front of us, and we have the, the manure-filled field behind us, if you will. You know what the real danger to our soul is? That manure-filled field in your life is real. The real danger is in staring at it and finding my identity there and believing that everything that that field says or is is true about who I am as a person and what my future is. And David gives us a, a better and a different view of the mountains, if you will, right? Because he's already, he's already helped us look and see his field. But now he points us to God. And what does he say? My chosen portion and my cup. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup, all right? So the field, the valley is not my chosen portion. It's the circumstances of my life right now. God himself, though, is my portion. He, so I find myself in the valley and the field, but that's not my portion. My portion is God giving himself to me in the valley, in the dark place. And it's in that sense that the valley can actually become the gift because it's the is my heart to feel and see what I've been denying my whole there are no turkeys there is no boxer in the ring trying to destroy me that's how we live our lives spiritually until the valleys and in the gift of the valley while we're walking we see it's not the valley that's my portion it's God who is my portion and the valley is forcing me to cry out maybe for the first time dad help and my father gives himself to me it's not just that he's my portion, he's my cup. Remember when Jesus was going to the cross and prayed? What did, what did he pray and ask his father? Let this cup pass from me. So what did he mean by that? The cup was the cross. It was everything that he was going to drink and was going to fill him up, right? We stare at the manure-filled fields and we b begin to believe the lie that that is my cup. That is all I will ever drink. That's it right there. David turns our gaze to the mountain and helps us look to Jesus, who is our cup, because what did Jesus say? I'm going to pour myself out for you. And what do we do every week when we share communion together? What do we do 
We rehearse that this is Jesus' body in our place. This is my blood poured. This is your new cup, life in Jesus. So our identity is in Jesus, not in the valley, not in the field. I am, I am starving in the field because there's nothing left in that cup for me to drink. And then over here, Jesus to give you everything that your soul needs. I am your cup, not the valley, not the dark place, not the season that you're in. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. And guys, look, he holds my lot, my lot being what I have right now. Guys, you are not where you are at in life by accident. God is not unaware. He's not uncaring. He holds the deep, dark valley that you are walking in right now that seems uncontrollable and out of control to you, and it is. It rests calmly in the hands of your Father, who is present with you through the person of Jesus, walking with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And what what does David go on to describe in that psalm? I have nothing to fear because he is with me. My soul will not be famished. I will not be thirsty, and he will see me through to the other side. It's in his hands, guys. The overwhelming reality that you face is a speck in the strong hands of your dad who gives himself to you through Jesus and has promised that he will see you through that valley. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. And that's why David can say, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. In verse 6, where it says, the lines have fallen for me, that is, um, that is, those are literally the lines that a surveyor would carve out of a piece of land as a form of divvying it up for inheritance. Can you imagine saying those words right now today in the difficult situation that you're facing? To be able to Uh, like David, say it, cry out to God to be encircled by saints, if you will, and then to be able to stare at these realities that God promises to the point that in your most difficult situation, you can say, the lines have fallen for me in really pleasant places, and I have a beautiful inheritance. Guys, that's mind-blowing. Pleasant places, beautiful inheritance. It's true because the Father has already demonstrated that he will give us exactly what he needs in the person of Jesus, sending Jesus to be our rescuing king. And what did he say? If I've already proven my love for you and that I would send Jesus and that he would die in your place, what would I hold from you if I've already given to you my son? So we need to be able to say it for ourselves. We need to be able to stay in it. And we need to be able to stare at these gospel realities until our eyes kind of lift off the field and we stop believing the lies and we start believing the truths about who our Father is and His faithfulness toward us. An author that I've been reading by the name of Rich Velotis, he says, the speed at which we live does violence to our souls. Guys, as your pastor, I'm here to tell you this morning that the speed at which you're living is doing violence to your soul. 
There's really no other way of saying You're not physically running around being chased by curfews and an electric fence. You're not physically in a boxing ring with an enemy that wants to destroy you for $1,500 and a life supply of fried chicken in West Virginia. You are in a ring, though. Your soul is there. There are a million unseen realities that are waging war against your soul. You can't see the turkeys from Jurassic World chasing you, but you have a million unseen realities that are chasing down your soul. But you know what the greatest enemy to your soul actually is? It's not those unseen realities. Here's the greatest enemy to our souls. The greatest enemy is, for, the, for most of our lifetime, for most of our Christian experience, we have believed that psalms like Psalm 16 are meant only to be prayed in crisis. When in reality, this is supposed to be creation psalm. This is how we are meant to live seven days a week, 24 hours a day. But because we don't live this way, our souls are starved and famished and dying. And we wait for the next crisis, cry out to God to rescue us. Meanwhile, we could be crying out to him every day and receiving exactly what our souls need from him and living joyfully and with peace in our most difficult circumstances. Guys, you can actually write verse 6 for yourself. If we find our refuge in God on your worst day with full integrity, you will be able to look back to your God and write down in your journal and say, you know what? Today really sucks and the season is the hardest one in my life. But my father loves me. My identity is in him. My soul gets exactly what I need from him. My lot has fallen in pretty pleasant places. And my inheritance, which cannot be taken away, is absolutely beautiful. Guys, when you are a follower of Jesus, finding your refuge in the Father, your valleys will always live in a shadow. They will live in the shadow uh, cast by the cross and they, in the past, and they will live in the shadow of the crown, the future, the hope of the resurrection that's in front of us. Our valleys will always live under the shadow of what Jesus has done for us on the cross and the reality that he's coming back for us. That is an inheritance that cannot be taken away. But we do violence to our souls because we don't sit and we don't. So could I invite you this morning, let's just, let's take a moment and let's sit and let's be still. And let's ask God through the work of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to realities that we may be currently blind to. Dad, am I not crying out to you because I'm not in crisis and I haven't been in crisis? Is that really, is that who I am? Do I take refuge in you? Do, are these David's words only or have I made them my own? Do I have a circle of saints? Am I daily staring at these gospel realities so that I actually believe on my worst days I have a beautiful inheritance? Dad, what are those things in my life that I'm not seeing? Or how about this one? Dad, who are those substitute gods that I'm currently running to? And how are they multiplying sorrows in my life? And as we're considering those things, let me just invite you to consider one more thing. I know that this was David, these were David's words for us in Psalm 16, right? But he's writing on behalf of our Father. So really, these are our Father's words to us. 
So in the way that David is modeling for us what it looks like to find refuge for our souls in God himself, the same way we find refuge for our bodies, what he, the gift he's really giving to us is our Father's voice ringing out so clearly. It's an invitation. In all of this psalm, our Father is looking us in the eyes and saying, Son, I love you. Daughter, I love you. I I want you to find refuge in me. I, I want you here. And I know you didn't find refuge in me yesterday. You went to alcohol again. Or you went to porn again. Or you went to your body image and your exercise routine again. Because that's one of our greatest idols in our community. You just go take your aggression out of the gym. You just go for another run. Good for you. You're in great physical shape. You know what your soul's doing right now? You look great on the outside. You're dead on the inside. You know it. But this is our Father saying, you know what? Not in condemnation, not in judgment. Son, daughter, you haven't run to me once in the last year. I want you to run to me today. I want you here at my side. I love you. There's nothing you have to do to earn it. You don't need to clean yourself up. Jesus has already done the work for you to be in my presence. Just say it. Dad, I need help. And when you say it, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see that I've already been running towards you in anticipation. And you will be met with a father's warm embrace. Guys, let's just carefully consider what are the unseen realities in our lives that we are blind to that are doing violence to our souls? What is my lack of calling out to God for refuge doing uh, as violence to my soul? And consider a good father who invites you home. The good father who, when you begin walking back home, you will find has already run the full length of the road to meet you and is actually going to pick you up and carry you the rest of the way home and then throw a really big party because you've returned. That's your dad. And he's really good to us. Let's pray. Father, I confess that in most of my life I have done great violence to my own soul in not calling out to you for refuge. And I confess that I'm a runner still. So thank you that in your kindness you give us words right here to say. You give us a family encircling saints to keep us from running. You give us these beautiful gospel truths to stare at so that we can take our eyes off the field and look to the mountains and realize that in our worst days, we live in the shadow of something so much greater and more beautiful. Father, help every person in this room this morning, by your grace and through your spirit, maybe for the first time in a long time, maybe for the first time in forever, to call out to you as their father and just say, Dad, I need help. I need refuge. My soul is apart from you. And Father, by your grace, may everyone encounter you, the running, chasing, pursuing God of life.